This is the Early Childhood Research Podcast, and you're listening to Episode 16. Welcome to the Early Childhood Research Podcast, where we tell you how the latest research can help in your home and in your classroom. Welcome, I'm Liz, the host of the Early Childhood Research Podcast, and today we're talking about working memory. Firstly, I want to apologise if you've been waiting. This episode is a couple of weeks late. Unfortunately, my laptop was stolen on a flight from San Francisco just two days before some interviews I had lined up. So that put me into a bit of a technological crisis and we weren't able to do the interviews. I did run out and buy a new laptop, however, lucky me. And since the interviews had to be postponed, I decided to look further into working memory. Stephen, who is an early childhood teacher in Queensland, Australia, reached out through Facebook to ask me to talk about working memory. So that's what I'm doing today. You can find the transcript and references used in this episode at lizesearlylearningspot.com. Just click on the podcast tab and look for episode 16. You'll also find an infographic there you can pin as a reminder of the ways we can help our kids with poor working memories. And just like Stephen did, you can reach out to me with requests or comments in the comment section of my blog or through my Facebook page, which is also called Liz's Early Learning Spot, or email me at lizesearlylearningspot at gmail.com. Working memory is one part of a larger system called executive function. Think about what an executive does. They have a problem, they think through the alternative choices and make a decision on what needs to happen, and then they give orders or take action to deal with the problem. And then finally, they evaluate how well it worked or didn't work. That is how executive function works for us. It's how we go about solving problems, making decisions and carrying them out. It's a complex process that mostly uses our frontal lobes, which continue to develop right through childhood, adolescence and into adulthood. Working memory is one part of executive function. Some other aspects are impulse and emotional control, flexible thinking, planning, prioritizing, organization. All these areas don't work in isolation. They're interlinked. So children with poor working memory may struggle with these other areas of executive function as well, which make things even more difficult for the child. Also, what we might call cool decision-making, such as when we're just sorting cards by shape and colour, for example, accesses a different part of the frontal cortex to hot or emotional decision-making when there's something at stake. So it's good to be aware that emotional content can change the way a child is able to reason things out. Infants pretty much just respond to the stimuli around them. But preschoolers, on the other hand, are able to think about the past and the present and decide between options. But this doesn't mean they'll necessarily be able to stick to their decisions or options because their ability to consciously control their thoughts and their actions and emotions is still severely limited. Just as it sounds, our working memory is our ability to hold information in our head in the short term that we'll need in order to complete whatever task we're working on. For example, if I ask a child to write, my dog is running to the pond, they need to keep that whole sentence in their working memory while they're writing. They might need to concentrate to sound out the word dog 
And by the time they've finished writing that word, the sentence might have disappeared from their mind. They can no longer recall it. There are two parts to working memory, auditory memory and visual spatial memory. One part focuses on what we hear and the other on what we see. Uh, I'm not going into that today because it's not really necessary in the context of this discussion. Working memory is not the same as short-term memory, but again, I'm kind of using them interchangeably here because I like to simplify things as much as possible as long as it doesn't change the essential message. When a child has a poor working memory, it's very difficult for them to remember more than one step at a time. The problem is when kids can't remember a task, they tend to get fidgety and distracted. And it's easy to think that the child is not concentrating, that they're not interested or they're being purposely disruptive or off task. But in reality, they just can't hold on to the information they need in their short-term memory. This is a real problem for these kids because poor working memory is linked to poor academics over the long term and in an inability to stay focused in the classroom. In fact, working memory is now considered a much more important component than IQ in determining future academic success. For children whose working memory is at the bottom 10%, over 80% of those children will have significant problems with math or reading, or most commonly, both math and reading. In a class of, say, 30 children, typically there will be four or five who have low working memory abilities. One piece of research that I found very interesting was that being at risk academically was pretty equal between kids with ADHD and kids with poor working memories. However, the ADHD kids often qualify for learning support in the classroom, but kids with poor working memory do not. This is something we need to be more aware of and that needs to change. We need to advocate for these kids. All of us have a specific amount of information that we can hold and manipulate in our, working memory, uh, in our working memory at one time, and it's not actually very much. Typically, we can hold more and more going from childhood to around 14 or 15 years of age, where it's at adult levels. However, it's not the same for everyone. There's quite a disparity of ability amongst any one age group. Some children develop atypically, and it's common for children with a wide range of developmental disorders to have poor working memories. But it also occurs in children with no diagnosed disorder, and it's a red flag for learning problems. So how does it present? Whether a child is in the classroom or at home, there are some signs to look for if you're concerned a child is struggling due to their working memory. Firstly, poor academic progress. Secondly, Difficulty in following instructions that have multiple steps. Thirdly, failure to complete common tasks that require information to be held in their mind. Fourthly, an inability to know where they're up to with complex tasks such as writing, doing math problems or trying to comprehend what they're reading. So they get partway through a task and they, they can't remember where they're at, they're not sure how to move forward, they're just confused. And fifthly, a high level of inattention or distractible behaviour. There are formal testing procedures for working memory. 
but it's generally better to talk to a specialist if you have concerns and want a firmer opinion. Generally speaking, learning happens as we go through tasks or discoveries step by step. When these individual steps require more working memory than a child has, they cannot progress. And if they cannot successfully complete the earlier steps, how can they get to grasp the larger concept at the end? If children cannot remember what to do in the middle of a task, they're going to become distracted or give up, and in this way they lose many, many learning opportunities. It doesn't take long for these children to lag academically behind others. So what can we do? Currently, there are two main approaches taken. The first is to adapt the child's environment, and the second is specifically to target and train a child's working memory function. There are also two lesser approaches I want to mention just for interest's sake. Um, The first is that some drugs can also assist with working memory, such as Ritalin, but that's between families and their doctors and not something I'll be discussing here. Of course, it's very controversial. Um, But drugs like that are not given specifically to improve working memory anyway, but that might be a side product. And secondly, brain stimulation. Apparently there's research being done on stimulating specific areas of the frontal cortex using a low-level electric current. And it has shown an increase in performance speed, but at the moment it hasn't affected uh, working memory. So we uh, won't be zapping each other anytime soon. For teachers, the most helpful approach we can take is to reduce the memory load needed in our classrooms. We can break down tasks and only give one or two instructions at a time rather than expecting kids to remember multiple instructions at once. This is so, so important and this is a good one for home as well. It's also good to present the same information to children multiple times and in different ways. We can encourage the use of memory aids such as a word list if they're writing, or a step-by-step poster if they're creating a craft, something that helps jog their memory. We can encourage our kids to play card games or other memory-type games so they practice using their working memories and trying to uh, increase their working memory ability. We can ask kids to close their eyes and create mental pictures mental snapshots of what they're being taught or of the instructions they've been given. If they forget, perhaps closing their eyes and thinking of that mental picture might remind them of where they're up to or where they're heading to. We need to encourage children to move while they're learning, encourage them to use their hands to gesture while they're learning and remembering. Moving and gesturing has been proven in many studies to improve working memory and recall. Even when children watch us gesturing as we teach, it improves their outcomes. It sounds odd, but it's true. So make sure your arms are free and clear when you're interacting with your kids and don't be afraid to consolidate what you're saying by the use of your arms and your hands. Be physically expressive and encourage your kids to be physically expressive too. If they want to use their fingers and toes to count, let them. Mental math is extremely difficult for these children and it can be too much to ask them just to do calculations in their head. The next thing is barefoot running. 
One study showed that kids enhanced their working memories if they ran for 16 minutes without shoes on, but only if they had to look down and concentrate on where they put their feet. For example, to avoid stepping on something that might hurt. Now to me, this says, let's get our kids' shoes off in the playground and create some kind of obstacle course so they have to pay attention to where they're putting their feet. They're getting exercise, they're having fun, their brains are chilling out between class, and they're working their front frontal lobes, an all-around win. Most importantly, create an atmosphere in the classroom where it's okay to ask for clarification. It's okay to have forgotten something. As well as making things easier for children, this approach encourages kids to think about their own strategies, to be aware of the difficulties of holding things in their, in their head, that we all have these problems, and how they can compensate for this. So what results are you looking for? The more effectively these strategies are implemented, the greater the results are in children's language and math development. Most teachers find that it's fairly easy to make these adaptions within whatever curriculum they're using and they become much more aware that often when children can't complete tasks it's more to do with working memory and forgetfulness than an inability to understand the task. When children are able to work within the limits of their own working memory they experience a lot more success. Now it's not known at present how beneficial these techniques are over the very long term, but they're simple to implement, they're positive for the children, and they give the teacher a practical and effective way to support and encourage their kids in their classroom. So the second part is training up a child's working memory. There are online training programs available where kids work through a series of computer games for, say, 10 to 20 minutes a day or several times a day for 5 to 10 weeks. These range in price from $50 to over $2,000. There are also programs available through psychologists or individual schools. I'm not naming any specific programs here because I don't want to be seen as endorsing any particular training program but you can find them through a bit of Googling and asking around. There are conflicting opinions as to whether these types of programs are effective. Some types of training may show improved results at the end, but only for tasks that are similar to the brain training itself. They have not transferred, for example, to making reading comprehension easier. Other results show children making significant gains over a six-month period that include improved math and literacy skills. And I know that there are much longer training programs out there that have shown strong successes because their aim is to actually change the wiring of the brain to strengthen those very specific areas that are weak. And these are said to be long-term forever type changes. As a word of warning, Brain training is popular at the moment and it generates huge amounts of revenue. That is always a sign that you need to be very careful what you buy into. There is no guarantee that any one method is going to work with any particular child, but it's important to be aware of whether a program has been scientifically tested to be effective. And even science can be bamboozled. Research has shown that when testing these programs, psychologists, for example, who know that parents have paid money for a course, tend to overemphasize the positive effects. When they're blind tested, 
that is when they don't know which kids have been through a course and which haven't, the results show substantially less progress. And I'm sorry that I can't be more helpful here, but I'm not in a position to personally endorse any specific brain training program. If you have experience in this area, please go to Liz's Early Learning Spot where you'll find the transcript of this episode and comment at the bottom. I'd really love to hear your experiences, whether positive or disappointing. In the meantime, whether we're teachers or parents or both, we can always be mindful of working memory limitations and be kind to our kids by not bombarding them with too much information or instructions or complex tasks. Even kids with efficient working memories can find this overwhelming. Add in some card playing, a little bit of computer games and barefoot running around, and most of all, positive affirmations to give them confidence that they can progress and will move forward. That's it for our chat on working memory. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes to leave a rating and review. It helps others to find the podcast. Remember, you can find the transcript of this episode, plus the references I used and a summary infographic at lizesearlylearningspot.com. Click on the podcast tab and look for episode 16. This podcast is part of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts by educators, podcasts for educators. To check out more education podcasts, go to edupodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for joining me to learn more about early childhood research and I wish you happy teaching and learning. Thanks for listening to the Early Childhood Research Podcast at www.lizesearlylearningspot.com.